When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to House of League, latest episode of Rugby League's newest podcast. I'm Matt Shaw, alongside me, we've got plenty of guests actually. This week uh, we've got Simon Johnson, the RFL chair, to talk all things England and Sean Wayne after the RFL confirmed he would be staying on for the 2025 World Cup. We've got Super League review to come, but if that's the main course and the dessert, we've got the appetizer now. Best appetizer you can find, in my opinion. The one and only Dave Craven from the Mirror. Cravo, that might be the nicest thing anyone's ever said about you, actually. I can't quite believe what you've just said, but uh, yeah, lovely to be here, Matt. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you are more than welcome. You are more than welcome, Cravo. When he's staying on, what yes. do you think? What, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I think it's the right decision um, for a number of reasons. I think everybody will say, well, whenever we get to this point, we're discussing, you know, a change of the guard, a new coach. It's like, who would you bring in instead? Um, and I don't think there's anybody obvious there. Uh, and yeah, for all, it was massively disappointing what happened in that semi-final to lose like England did. Um, we can't forget how much progress they had made under him. I think everybody was really impressed by by what England did in that tournament up to that point. And and I, and I always say, you know, when it comes to being a head coach, I mean, you, you live and die by the players, don't you? Essentially, it's all in the, it's all in their hands when it comes to those moments. And and yeah, it just a couple of mad moments there from Tompkins and Wales being that extra period, and it could have been a totally different kettle of fish if uh, if it had gone the other way and they could have been in a final. Now, yeah, in terms of as he made mistakes, I'm sure he'll be the first to admit he has um, selection at times, possibly. Uh, people talk about Andy Akers off the bench, that sort of thing. Should that be an option? Uh, and you can go through them all, can't you, in hindsight? Um, but I've said to numerous people, it's, I think the English rugby league fans have got this idea that we've got this God-given right to win a World Cup and we've, we've never actually won, won a World Cup as England. If it was Australia and, you know, when they win eight out of nine and obviously Ricky Stewart missed out in 2008 and you could understand them when people were asking him for him, he should be going because they've lost because it was such a big shock. It's not a shock that England haven't won the World Cup. So if we were to simply just rip everything up and start again every time this happened, we, we just wouldn't move forward. Um, and yeah, I've obviously I've seen a lot of comments from players saying that they think he's he's the, the right man for the job. I'm, I don't always read too much into that because yeah. the, the no, they're not going to say he's the wrong man for the well, job. Well, exactly, yeah, exactly. Um, 
so yeah, personally, yeah, I think it's a, the right decision, uh, and I'm sure he will have done a lot of a lot of thinking about what did go wrong and what he could improve and and what needs to change. But even with all that in taken into account, again, there's no there's no way that we're gonna suddenly just win a World Cup in in 2025 in France. We, we should, I think we just need to um, rein it in a bit and think that you know realistically, Australia. New Zealand, Samoa, Tonga. Now there's so much more competition at the top of the game, and um, we need everything to go perfect for us to to be in there. I don't know what you think. I mean, I, when that few days before the squad announcement, when uh, Lomax pulled out and Percival, at that point, I was. That's when my heart really sunk. I thought, you know, we'd already had Big Al not in there, Warmsley, and at that point, I thought, this is our big chance gone. So in in many ways, it was a a great success doing as well as I did, missing, you know, Lomax and Wormsley, especially two brilliant players. And yeah, you just need everything to fall right when it when it comes to the crunch crunch games. And um I don't think any other coach would, would have done much too much differently to get the result. It's it's uh, yeah, we'll see what we'll see what happens next. But personally I'm quite pleased that he's he's carrying on as a bit of continuity there. Just need some games now though, don't we? That's a problem. Yeah, we do. Well we'll hear from Simon Johnson about that shortly. But the I almost feel a bit sorry for Sean Wayne when people say, well, who else is going to take it? It's almost like, well, they have to give it in by default. But the reality is, did he do a bad job? No, I don't think he did. Did he do an excellent job? Well, no, they didn't win the World Cup. That would have been an excellent job, wouldn't it? Um, yeah. But I think you look at that tournament, they were convincing in every game that they needed to be in, barring the semi-final, um, which they still nearly won. Did he have the best preparation? Well, ultimately, with COVID, no. And no, no nation did. It, you know, that should mm. be pointed out. However, I would say England needed those games of that intensity, that test series against Australia, probably more than Australia needed to play England. Yeah. So I, I think I think he deserves a proper crack at it with a proper cycle. So I, I'm in agreement there. I think the challenge that Sean has in front of him now is overseeing a change in the guard almost. It, yeah. it was an old squad. It, it was an old squad with I think, nine players over the age of 30. It was, or maybe mm-hmm. even 31. Realistically, the vast majority of them aren't going to be there by 2025. You know, even Tompkins, it feels like Tompkins will play on forever, but he'll be 36 by the next tournament. Yeah, and that, that'll be an interesting one for Sean Wayne in the sense, is he, is he going to say now, listen, Sam, you're not going to be there at the next World Cup? I need to change things now, and it doesn't include him for the for the France game in April, especially when you think there's a certain Jack Wells behind around waiting to to play fullback for England. Um, yeah. And obviously, with his links and his history, Sam Tompkins, that'd be a massive call. And yeah, I think I, I spoke to Sam Tompkins earlier today for a piece for for the uh, for the Mirror tomorrow, and and he says he thinks obviously that World Cup will be beyond him, but he's never going to retire from international rugby league yeah. as such. So. It'd be up to Sean Wayne to say, listen, thanks, you've been a great servant to your country, but I'm going to go a different way. And who's to say that, you know, the way he plays this year, Tompkins might still be number one for England um, come the end. But yeah, it's, it'd be, that first squad against France will be interesting to see what direction he's going in. Because like you say, there's a lot of players there um, who are sort of 32, 33, 34, uh, and, and there will need to be an overhaul ready for the, for the next tournament the next World Cup and that's a problem Matt as well isn't it that we don't get many games to play so you have to every opportunity has to be maximised so if he's got any ideas about people that he wants to develop ready for 2025 
they essentially have to be playing in this France game because there's still no concrete fixtures in place for um, for later in the year and, and next year as well. Well, let's hear uh, what Simon Johnson has to say. I spoke to him a few hours after that announcement that Sean Wayne would be staying on to talk all things England Rugby League and looking forward to the World Cup in 2025. Simon, welcome to House of League, first and foremost. In the decision to retain Sean Wayne as head coach, plus some other decisions at, at, at national level. Uh, if we go back right to that semi-final defeat, England lost to Samoa, everyone's obviously gutted. Was it at that point a decision was made to go through the process of review, or was it planned anyway that regardless of what happened, there would be a review of sorts? Well, um, hello, Matt. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's, uh, it's a great pleasure. I think good practice is always to review every tournament at the end, whatever happens. I think the decision would have taken less time had we won, uh, because I think the question would have been to Sean, would you want to carry on? But you still need to do a review. I think I think that's just good. If you look at other sports, you come to a major tournament, it's a it's a sort of a bookmark point, really. And you think, all right, let's just have a look at it. So I think we were always of a view that we needed to do a proper review and a proper look at everything that surrounded the camp, because it's not just who's the coach. It's everything to do with it. What what did we do at the RFL? Did we prepare everything right? Did we make the right facilities available? What can we do differently? Um, what did the clubs do? What was the environment like? What was the coaching like? What was the, what was the financial situation? You know, so there's a lot that needs to go into it. And that's why we did a comprehensive review. And it took, I think, a little bit longer than people expected. It, done, done my research. It's been 108 days since that semi-final. Um, that's it, that's it really. You wouldn't have... I know, time flies, doesn't it? It's crazy. Yeah. It is yeah. crazy. Um, and I know the review won't, wouldn't have started an hour after that loss, but nevertheless, it, it has been 108 days. So what has happened between then and today when we got the news that Sean would be staying on? Well, one of the key points was that that we had an RFL board meeting scheduled for the beginning of February. So that was the end point to all of this. Um, and what we wanted to do was to have a proper review that had had the opportunity. Well, let, let me tell you what, what, what went into it. Players were spoken to. Uh, there was a consultation with players, consultation with the coaching staff. Um, there was independent analysis done. Um, of the performance. There were conversations, of course, with Sean and with his coaching team. Uh, there was a lot of analysis of, um, you know, good practice, what went on around the squad and uh, what could have, you know, what happened, what were the issues, what 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 lessons might there be to be learned. Of course, we were doing this for three teams as well. Of course. Yeah, all, all, all the focus is on... Uh, uh, in this discussion is about the men's team and, and Sean's appointment, but we were doing it for three teams. And it was really a question of, of getting all that work done with people who were on holiday for a lot of the time because it was a close season. Um, and then it was working through uh, getting the report done. Remember at the RFL as well, we switched leadership at that point because Ralph uh, stepped away. Tony Sutton stepped in as interim CEO, um, working with, with Dave Rotherham. So we worked through all of that. In my view, I'm surprised when you say it was so long because it doesn't feel that long to me. It actually feels like it's just been the start of this year. I know the work started in December. Yeah. 
all right but actually it really kicked in since the new year because i think a lot of people went off on leave a lot of the players did weren't available the last thing they wanted to do was to talk to you know somebody reviewing uh the performance of the world cup so when they came back together again uh that was when i think we were able to make real progress were you conscious of the timings and i mean by that you've obviously got someone in in sean who he wants to know if he's staying on, doesn't he? And he's, am I staying? Am I not? It is a, it is a fair amount of time to not know whether you're going to continue. Well, I, I mean, the, the the key point I was trying to um, look towards was the mid-season international at the end of April, and I wanted to make sure that we had a decision made in very good time for that. So, if we're going to make a change, did we have enough time to to bring somebody in for that? I think what we've learned from this is. The contracts of um, of the coaches ended at, on the 31st of December after the tournament. Actually, I think that's a bit tight. And and, and so I think for the for future, we're going to let the contracts run to the end of March just to give us a bit more time so that there's not that same level of personal uncertainty because these are people, these are human beings. They've got, a, you know, they've got jobs. They want to know whether they're going to continue in it. And I, I think we probably didn't do ourselves or the coaches the best by having the such a sharp end to the yeah. contract period because there was no way we were going to do a proper review in a month. No. You just, no. You just can't do it. You just can't. So you obviously headed the review up. So it's a it's a well fair... I didn't I didn't. So I received it. It was it was prepared mm. for us by our uh, 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 on-field performance team um uh, and the executive team so the executives prepared it. There was some input from one of my board directors who's got a, 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 a performance background. But the report that we received was a recommendation to the board from the executive team. So in a way, I was the recipient of it. I obviously knew what was going on. And I was able, you know, the, one of the privileges of being the chair is you can steer what sort of questions you want to ask, what you want to cover. So, but, so, uh, just, just, to, so just to clarify, yeah, sorry, just to clarify that. So you sort of had a, did you have an input in, in how the questioning was put to the players and the, the so what, no so remember I'm the non-exec chair I don't work mm -hmm. in the business there are people that we pay to do these things what yeah. I was able to do was to set out what I wanted to be the the outline of the uh, uh, of the review the issues I wanted it to address you know I wanted I, I'm going to say speak to X number of players and ask them these questions that's no. far detail but it would be make sure you're taking into account the views of players make sure you're asking about a whole range of things not just on pitch performance the level the environment what the camp was like what the build-up was like what it was like through the season building up to the tournament because remember we're we're we were very conscious that we wanted to make appointments that will take us through to the world cup in france sure. so we wanted to make sure that we were doing everything right effectively from now through until the world cup and so it needed a lot to be looked at so really i was i was able to discuss with the executive team the framework of what we wanted the review to be our board as well in december also inputted what they would like to see coming out of it and that was uh, that was what was they then went to prepare and that came to us at our board meeting in the second second or third week of february so the board meeting comes uh, the the reviews concluded what were the conclusions well, you've, we've announced the conclusions that, I mean, the public conclusions were relating to the coaches. Um, renew uh, with Sean and offering the chance to go again um, to be the coach through to the World Cup. The same with uh, Tom Coyd and the wheelchair uh, team. And of course, he's a world champion. 
um, and then uh, we, to work with Stuart Barrow, um, same arrangement for, for the women. There are a lot of other recommendations as well, and that's all really about how to address what were perceived, if you're looking at the men's team, although we did all of this with, with each of the teams, what could have been done better, what mm. we can do differently. What can, can you sort of give us any insight into what that looks like? Because there, there will have, as in any review, there will have been things that will have come out as positive and gone, that's that yeah. was great, that was fantastic. But of course, there will have been some constructive feedback on what could have been better. Can you give us any insight into what that? Well, look, like? nothing. Nothing I'm going to tell you here is 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 different to what most fans will know. Let's take the men first. Right. The uh, in fact, I think this what I'm going to say next applies to the women uh, as well. We don't think that our men are playing enough high quality, high level rugby throughout the season and in the build up to the tournament. And 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 really, this was affected by COVID in a way. But the fact that that the England men had had and the women had had so few high quality, highly competitive matches at at true test match level before they reach the tournament is something we've got to try and address as we move to the future. There's no question in the men's game that the level of competition in the Super League versus in the NRL is just not the same. They are playing at a higher level generally. They also um, have the origin matches, which gives them genuine test match um, uh, competition during the season. We don't have anything like that. So our men's coach really has got to try and recreate that competitive test match level with our players throughout the season, despite them not being available to the coach in that time. So we've got to do a few things. Firstly, we've got to give them the opportunity to play more matches, play more test matches, so that they've got more time with the team. If you look at the build-up to the uh, 2021 World Cup, we played France twice and we played a couple of combined nations games. Good good runouts they were, but that's not necessarily getting you in a position where you're able to, you know, you feel you can go toe to toe with Australia, New Zealand, Samoa, Tonga, whoever it might be, um, that you're going to meet in a semi-final and a final. So we've got to do something about that. We've got to improve the opportunities for the teams to play higher level competition as they build up to the World Cup. One of the great things about Sean is that he is very analytical with his data on the players. And he spends a lot of time individually with the players, feeding back to them, telling them that if they want to play at a test match level in a World Cup, they've got to start performing at those same levels in the Super League. So even though they might not need to in order to win that particular game that they happen to be playing within the Super League, if they want to play for England, Sean, who's getting the access to all their data, has got to see, I want you performing at test match level. Now, I hope that by virtue of doing that, that's improving the competition within the Super League. Yeah. So that that's a that's a lot of what, what you're looking into. You know, it's it's the level of competition, getting our players playing at the right level often enough that when they come to play in the tournament, they come to play, um, you know, the top teams, that they're used to it, they, they've got that level and they can step up to it. And if I can, just before you come back on me on that, Matt, just talk about the women, I think it's even more marked with the women. Because, sure. of course, the NRLW is, is, is ahead. You know, they're a few years ahead of where we are. I'm really pleased with the development of our women's game and the quality that there is. But we're not playing at this. Our, our women are definitely not playing at that that same high level as their counterparts are in Australia 
and New Zealand. Of course, that's who they met. You know, and they were going to meet one or other of those teams in the semi-final. And it was very obvious that, that we're not playing at that sort of level regularly enough. So for the women, we need to find them opportunities to play Australia and New Zealand much more often than they do. Because at the moment, we only play them in the in the World Cup. And of course, it's they're great runouts to be able to play France and Wales and, and Papua New Guinea and whoever else we play. But really, the standard in the women's game is being set by Australia and New Zealand. And we've got to find ways, if our women are going to come along, to not just improve the quality of play within the Super League, which we want to, women's Super League, which we want to do anyway, but to give the national team that opportunity to test themselves against uh, against the best players. I was going to come on to uh, future fixtures and everything later on, but now that we're talking about it, let, let's ask the obvious question. We know that all three teams will play France in April. Um, yep. In terms of autumn, we know that the England Knights will be, will be part of the European uh, Championships, but there has been a lot of talk about for the men. Who, who are they going to play? Are they going to play? Because it's been challenging getting an opponent where are we at with that right now? Has there been any development? So, I mean, there is. And there's a frustration that you'll see from the way that I talk, because I can't tell you exactly where we're going to end up with this. Because although we have got a series ready to go and ready to announce uh, for the men uh, for the autumn, we can't proceed with it yet because over in Australia, the collective bargaining agreement between the NRL and the Rugby League Players Association has not been concluded. So we could announce whatever we like. If our if our opponents can't release their players, we can't go ahead with the game. And we need that done. And it's very frustrating for me um, at the moment. I've said this publicly. Um, I, I can't do anything about it. Those are d- deep negotiations. They, 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 they cover a wider range of issues than just international release. But I know that part of that deal will address... What is the international window going to look like? When will it start? When will it end? How many matches can be played? Setting out the requirements for nations to release, for clubs to release their players for participation in those matches. Once that's all signed and sealed and delivered, we are ready to announce a series for 2023. And we're quite advanced with a series for 2024 that, in our view, I hope will give our men the opportunity to test themselves at a high level. Because if you build up towards a 2025 World Cup, ideally what we want to do is give the coach the opportunity to play mid-season, and that will be France each of those three years. So it'll be a good opportunity to get his players together. But at the end of 23 and the end of 24, we want to be able to have a competitive and a genuinely competitive series of matches against a nation that we might, for example, be playing in a quarterfinal or a semi-final in a World Cup. Yeah, that is positive strides though surely the fact that there's something in place because it it seemed at at some points some periods in this feasibly it might just be impossible to get a series on because of all these complications that have been going on down under resistor you know whatever it may be sounds like there has been at least some development even if there is the 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 problem the the real frustration is that we do not have a set confirmed international calendar yeah, in, in international rugby, it's a big problem for the for the international game, and it's been it's been going on for years. All the time that I've been involved with rugby league since 2014, we've not have a firm international calendar. We seem to be getting close to that now, but it we just can't get it over the line 
because it is wrapped up in the wider discussions about um, you know the the collective bargaining agreement uh, with the Aussies. But there is a there is a broad acceptance that in order to grow international rugby league, we need our players to be playing in a confirmed window. We need the clubs to be releasing their players, and we need to be able to arrange fixtures. So our belief is that those need to be England versus a Southern Hemisphere team. Um, it, it, we have to determine whether we go there or they come up here. Um, but we absolutely recognise that to give our team the best chance for the next World Cup, we've got to give them the opportunity to have played for eight matches, eight, nine or maybe even ten matches before they get to play the World Cup. Yeah. Does that, um, do those complications down under also tie into the women's team? Or is it is that a little bit... Uh, it, it, not the same, not the same. The, the, the issue of that is that... The, 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 it, it, they've, they've reached an agreement to um, pay their women, which is the right thing to do. But of course, not every nation has got the same amount of revenue available to it to pay their women. And, and if they're going to set a minimum payment level, not every nation will be able to meet that payment level. And less a problem for us, but it is a problem for some of the other uh, women's nations, particularly New Zealand, who are borrowing, who are taking players who play in the NRLW. And if the economics of that see collective bargaining agreement don't work for the nation. Actually, an unintended consequence here is it might make it more difficult to play quality internationals. For me, the issue is different. Are we likely to be able to put together a commercially attractive um, series that allows Australia or New Zealand to come to England to play us? I don't know is the answer to that. And therefore, we I, I, we discussed at our last board meeting, what do we need to do to see whether potentially our women go and tour over there at least once before the World Cup? Because my view from a performance perspective, if if the next time we play Australia or New Zealand is in the semi-final of the World Cup, I, I don't know whether there will be a different result. There could be, and you know, Stuart Barrow will work with the team and you would hope so, but we've got to give them the opportunity to play those quality teams more often. Yeah. And there has been some suggestion that some of those players may go to the NRLW, which yeah. obviously isn't isn't fantastic in the short term for the women's simple league. It does obviously provide opportunity for new players to come in, but at the same time, you would hope that it would benefit the the international team on a mid to long term. You would definitely hope that. And you would you would hope as well that the, that the women's game recognises that it's such a level of development that it might be possible for a player to play in both the NRLW and Super League. And so that, you know, it, it doesn't have to be a binary choice between one or the other. So there's a lot of work being done around that at the moment, Matt, to see yeah. whether that can happen. You, you Just on the international calendar, um, do you, does there come a point where maybe if if this carries on, and it sounds like it's not going to do, it does sound like there's some genuine progress and, and this will be set up. But when, when you were speaking earlier about meaningful fixtures, uh, high-level competition, and then you weigh in the, the issues with the international game, which have been going on for a long time, people are, if people are like me, their cogs have been saying, what about War of the Roses? What about something like that? Has that ever has that been discussed recently as a potential? Because it's a, it's the nearest thing this country has had to say a state of origin. It's, yeah, it's, it's. I mean, people often raise this with me. You know, we could create our own origin, and mm. you know, I haven't delved into 
you know, the detail of whether, you know, it is possible to, to, to simply create, just, just create the same level, the same intensity uh, and so on with our own version. So, yeah, people do talk about this. And in fact, one of the things that IMG are looking at is the creation of something new, a new concept, a new fixture, a new competition, something to try and address that. But that, I think they're not looking at it from a performance perspective. And they're looking at it from a commercial perspective. So uh, at this point, I don't think there is the idea that from a performance perspective that you're going to create something like that. Those ideas are knocking around and we'll see what comes out of it. But I don't. I think, you know, for us to say, oh, all we need to do is create our own state of origin, our own equivalent, and lo and behold, we'll have that same value. I, I, I personally am not persuaded by that argument. I think what we've got to do is we've got to compete nation to nation and that's the way that we're going to – well, two things. It's going to be improve the quality of the competition in the Super League. And, you know, that's that's a lot of work that's going on at the moment. But it's also give our national teams the opportunity to test themselves against, you know, the best more often. Mm. To, to, to drag it back to the uh, review, and, and you spoke about the review, not just being what happened in the – in terms of results, but everything around it. And you mentioned, you know, even what, what the RFL can do. Um, you're obviously working hard to get these meaningful fixtures on it. It sounds like it's uh, it's taking up a lot of your time. And uh, well, it's, it's, not entirely, it's not entirely in our control. That's the problem. No, of course, of course. Is, is, is there anything else that you think the RFL could do better to, you know, whether it be in terms of fixtures, Governance, talent, pro, whatever it may be, is—is is there anything that's come from this way the RFL would look to enhance what they did in preparation for 2025? So, look, the, the, everything that the RFL is trying that we're trying to do with the establishment of RL Commercial, the IMG changes that we're going in—they're all—they're all designed to improve the quality of the competitions that we play at. And there's no question that if we have better quality competition, then that will lead to better players, and they'll be able to test themselves. So, you can see why I know. You know, the catalyst for this conversation was the appointment of Sean, but the coach is one part of it. You know, the coach will, will this particular coach, Sean, can achieve a great deal. He, You know, I've worked, worked with him across this period and I think he'll do extremely well um, with with getting the best out of what we've got because he, he's a winner. But, but to take your point, if you look from a governance perspective, all the work we're doing with IMG is all about improving the quality and the competitiveness of the Super League. That is going to feed in to better performances for England. When they come into the coach, it's about making sure that they've got the right support, that we're giving them the right support, that we've generated enough resources that if the coach wants, you know, an additional coaching, coaching as well, let's say they want to bring in somebody who can give some, some psychological um, support, you know, somebody as a sports psychologist. We've got to make sure that we've got this right level of revenue there that we can do something like that. So I think the challenge for us is always to be asking ourselves, have we got, are we doing what we can to enable England to win? But, you know, this is about, this is about putting in place the right structure around the team. It's about raising the quality of the competitions that we play in and it's providing it's about providing more meaningful competition for our national teams and i think if we can do all of that i think on our side we'll have played our part i've, I've got to ask um did, was there any external interest in the post during the process because i would imagine without being in the coaching scene that it's quite a coveted job you know being the england head coach of one of the tier one nations, I would think there would be a lot of coaches who would be interested 
in taking that post? Yeah, I, I, I don't think there was a particular... I mean, there was no actual vacancy. I mean, when, when we just did this, when when we uh, we announced that we were moving on from Wayne Bennett, there was a vacancy. And yes, there was quite a lot of interest expressed there. And Sean was the person we went with. This time, I think everybody understand out of, out of fairness to Sean, they wanted to wait to see what was happening. So no, there wasn't, certainly I wasn't receiving uh, incoming traffic. And I think that's just because it's, it is a very coveted role. And I think people would, would look to it. But um, I, I, I think they accepted there wasn't a vacancy. There is an interesting point. I, 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 I think Shaw won't go beyond France 25, even if he wins. And therefore, um, he accepts that what we've got to do is use this next period of time as well to try and create some succession planning and to try and work out who might be next. There's some very talented young coaches working within the Super League. And I think the opportunity to uh, give them the opportunity to show the best for themselves is something we want to be doing over the next few years. Could that be reflected in his coaching staff then? The, the reason I ask that is that there's obviously been a few, uh, or I assume there's going to be some change in coming. You know, Paul Wellens is now the, the St. Helens coach. I, I don't know if other coaches that are in that setup may be promoted in, in club level between now and 2025. That seems like a possibility. So may we see some of that succession planning reflected think- in, in the coaching staff? Look, I think that'll be for Sean. Um, I know that Sean did a, a significant spell of self-coaching and st- self-scouting, if you like. Did he surround himself with the right people? Did he did he replace Paul Wellens? Did he put in place the right sort of support? Who might he then start to work with? I mean, it's quite interesting. This report, you know, clearly addressed a number of points. It looked at the fact that, you know, a lot of the players who played during the World Cup were on the wrong side of 30 so if we're going to start bringing in and building on the nucleus of, of talented young players that Sean was able to identify and bring through in the squad, how else can we broaden that and how else can we widen that and give ourselves the best chance for the future? So using the best players who are available at the time. Same applies with coaching, really. You know, what can we do yeah. to really give more talented coaches the opportunity to experience an international camp, international preparation and so on? What, what I found quite interesting about the World Cup was some of our Super League coaches were off being assistant coaches with some of the other nations. Oh. They were getting good experience. That sort of thing can happen with England as well, you know. So, so I think Sean's very alive to that. Yeah, is just out of interest, is his contract this time part time or, or full time? Because well, I, I think as it was going into the World Cup, he's also involved in the Wigan uh, setup. So, yeah, in that in that respect, it's it's not a he's not exclusive to the RFL. Sure, just, I suppose just to wrap this up, really. Um, 2020 any World Cup that England are in the goal will be to win the World Cup that's never that's never going to change but when you when you throw in the succession planning element of it what is the remit between now and the culmination of 2025 and, and that's not just performance I'm talking succession planning um, I'm talking Pathway, everything like that. What what do you want to see? What are you hoping will be achieved well, between the, that and that final? And the whole of the England Performance Unit, looking at all the teams, women, the wheelchair, uh, the knights, um, all, all of the, uh, and of course the men, it's all about creating the right pathway so we've got plenty of players having the opportunity to represent their country. 
and to play at the right level. It's about creating enough competition. The ultimate target is to try and do as well as you possibly can in, and win the World Cup. That's what it's about. But at the same time, in order to do that, we recognise you've got to have as many players at your, avail at your disposal as you possibly can. You're always going to get injuries. You know, if you look at this World Cup, six players who probably would have expected to be in the squad were injured and were not available yeah. to the coach. Now, next time it could be five or six different players. You therefore have to have a wide enough uh, group of players who are able to step in and step out and play at the right level. So that is really part of, you know, in order to be successful now, you need to be planning for the future as well, because you need to be able to have a situation where you can bring in a Dom Young or a Herbie Farnworth and expect them to be able to step in. And having done that and them having risen to the occasion, you would expect them that if they stay fit and they stay informed, that they've got an opportunity to form the, the core of a future England team. As for succession planning for the coaching, I think Sean would want to surround himself with the very best people. And if I look at, you know, across my time, who's been involved with England and Great Britain teams, there have been some very talented coaches there. I mean, Ian Watson, for example, was an assistant coach for quite some time. So it's about, I think, giving, giving up, coaches who are busy with their clubs, a good opportunity in the international window to come and experience international rugby league. That will help the teams and that might help us as we move on after the World Cup. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. RFL chair Simon Johnson speaking on House of League then about Sean Wayne's renewal as England head coach. No doubt you'll hear much more about that in the coming days, weeks, months and years really looking ahead to the 2025 World Cup. Plenty of coverage on Rugby League Live as we speak. But moving on, we're going to look at all things Super League and joining me to do that are two pretty smug colleagues of mine at the minute. Uh, they've both asked me to book hotels at Old Trafford um, they want first-class travel for the big occasion, the lot, all because their teams have won two games alongside me for this part of the show. Hull KR reporter Joe Appleyard and Hull FC man Dan Tomlinson. Lads, you're uh, you're pretty happy at the minute, aren't you? Two wins from two. We're trying not to, but when you talk like that, it, Matt, it's hard not to win it, Dan. I don't think we're getting carried away as much as Matt is at the moment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't buy that at all. I think we're pretty level headed. I mean, been here Dan, before. Dan, been hang before. On. some inside secrets here at half time of all FC's win over Castleford that they nearly they nearly collapsed in. Dan asked me to book him a hotel for Old Trafford. Tongue in cheek. Tongue in cheek. We've been here before. Let's see, start the season well. It's, it's about what they're doing, June and beyond that matters, isn't it? We all know that. We all like a, we all like a joke about it, but that's the reality. Very <laughs> true. If we start on KR, because that was was the Thursday game, uh, I, I, truth be told, I, I am feeling a little bit smug because I got hammered for tipping KR to finish in the top six. And... Two wins from two. Two tough games as well. You know, they've, they've beat Wigan. Then they've gone to Salford. Um, Joe, I, I don't think they were fantastic against Salford. 
uh, first half, I, I think if Salford had been on it, that game might have been out of sight. But the reality is they got the job done. And you look at it, two wins from two, two tough games. It's so far so good for the Robins, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I think in both games, Matt, they haven't played to the full potential. I think they're probably about 70%, and that's the most exciting thing, that they've beat Wigan and gone away to Salford. And you only have to look at the adversity that was thrown going into round two without your Reese Kennedy, Matty Stoughton, Ryan Hall and Lachlan Koo, especially the latter two who were linchpins in this whole KR side. And you're right, it wasn't probably the most entertaining game for the neutrals, but what Rovers are doing is they're grinding out results and we all know what Hulkar have been capable of over the last few years off the cuff and producing them one-off games. But it's nice to kind of strip it back and go, do you know what, Rovers are a lot more structured under Willie Peters and I think it's going to pay dividends as the season goes ahead. But at the moment, so far, so good. They haven't produced anything of what they're capable of and they've come away with two major scalps, in my opinion, especially the Salford game. I think when I spoke to Dean Adley after the game, he said it was bigger than the Wigan one and I can understand why because although Wigan are one and one, they're probably going to be in the top two, maybe top, definitely top three or four out to come the end of the year. But the likes of Rovers, Salford, Hull FC, them other teams, they're going to be in for that lower end playoff spot. So it is a cliche, but that Salford game could be seen as a four-pointer. But yeah, really happy. And I think it's nice to see the likes of Jordan Abdul playing really well. He's picked up three, um, two, the maximum on the Man of Steel points. So he's top of the leaderboard at the moment. And just looking forward to seeing, hopefully, against Lee coming up when we speak about that later, the four lads returning, fingers crossed, and it'll be nice to see where they can go. But, yeah, so far, so good, but a long way to go, just like Dan alluded to. I'm going to, I'm going to mix it up a little bit here. I'm going, to, I'm going to ask you the same question, Joe, later, but I'm going to ask Dan what he thinks of Hull KR so far. Resilient. We're two rounds in, so it's a bit daft to say the this and that, but... Based on what we've seen so far, bear in mind they've been on TV both rounds, so I've seen both games. They're a lot more resilient than they've been in recent years. That win at Salford, it was dogged, it was gritty, it wasn't brilliant, don't get me wrong, but they did what they needed to do. It's very cliche this time of year, but that's all you've got to do, isn't it? If you grind out the wins, you get your defence right, you get through your sets, you get your kick underway, you can get results. And I said to Joe actually last week, it's at the start of the year, at the end of the year, that's what gets you the results because the weather isn't great. It's not, you know, 25 degrees with the sun shining and, and also, you know, in the height of summer. And that's what you've got to do. And that's how you win playoff games. And it is early days and it can be perceived as daft to, you know, say they're going to do this, that, they're going to be top four, top six, whatever. But that's, they're showing the early signs, aren't they? And you can only credit that. They're doing what they need to do. They're beating the opposition in front of them. But there is a long, 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 long way to go. And I don't think you can emphasise that point enough. It's the same with everyone. We don't know what's going to happen yet. I mean, Matt, me and you both sat in a press conference on Friday at Headingley and Tony Smith had a massive rant about these predictions and how we, how, how we do them every year. Well, because it's our job. But, you know, it, it's sort of like reiterating that it's, it's madness. You know, how do we do it? Well, we don't know. We guess It's all guesswork, isn't it? And that's the point right now. But so far, look at Rovers, the two from two. They've done everything they needed to do. They've come out two different wins if you like they obviously played very well at Wigan and they ground out the Salford win so yeah you look at it and say so far so good but again there is a long 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 way to go yeah yeah I, I agree I think I think the positive signs for Hull KR is the fact that there are players that are new and old 
are performing who they need to do. So I look at Jordan Abdul. I, I'm a huge Jordan Abdul fan. I think consistency at times in his career has let him down, but I think partially that's down to injuries. He was brilliant in 2021. 2022 injuries just ruined his season. But then he's been really good so far this year. And then I look at some of the new players. I thought Sam Luckley turned the game on its head when he came on. I thought that was a really impressive stint from him. Opacic, like him, he just he shut down Salford all the time. I just I think there is reasons to be optimistic at Hull KR right now, not just the results, but I think the performance, as you said, it wasn't flashy, it wasn't a flashy win, but they did what they needed to do. And I think, as Joe pointed out, they could be better. And I suppose that's the one tinge of caution, Joe, isn't it? That it, you know, if you look at it from the other side. Salford are going, well, we should have had that game one at half-time because they had enough chances, they had enough field position. And I think if Salford had been as slick as they can be, that might have been the case. Wigan, you know, they could play better than they did. But you can only beat what's in front of you, I suppose. Yeah, of course you can. And that'll be the mantra going forward, won't it? And you kind of make your own look. And there was Salford, yeah, granted, they did blow a lot of chances. But if you watch it back on the flip side... Rovers defended their goal line really well. I thought when Ken Seo went over in the corner and there was just rolling the Robins down the field, I was looking across and thinking, oh, this could be one of them nights, you know, that's just getting away from them and you're never going to be in the game. And again, it's coming back, going into the sheds 4-0 at the break and going into it quite confident because you could have been a lot further behind and Willie Peters, I think, gave him, gave him the, the right act at half-time. He did and that's the thing. They are going to have bumps and bruises along the way. They're going to be behind at the break. They're going to have to crawl back some games. But if you can do it and you can prove in the early stages that you've got that you can beat that adversity that's thrown at you, then it can put you in good stead for the future. But yeah, that's the thing. Salford and Wigan, of course, they want not the best, but on the flip side, Rovers want not the best. And, you know, as the rounds progress, I'm sure we'll see other teams flourish and teams peter out. But at the moment, um, it's positive things coming out of Rovers and hopefully that continues moving forward in the next few rounds. Because I remember at the beginning of the season saying these fair, up to least, they're up until the derby on Good Friday. That's when I think for both sides of the River Hull, they've got to pick up these points and they can't be chasing the leading pack. And at the moment, the two of the top teams and if that continues I know Willie Peters and definitely Tony Smith will be happy Moving on to FC, victory over Leeds, uh, 22-18 bonkers game in many ways, it went back and forth, topsy-turvy, Leeds exchanged a number of times but the black and whites got over the line Dan, it was we were sat together at Headingley and I, we, we were laughing quite a lot because some of, some of the things that were going on, some of the chances Leeds missed and some of the things LFC did, dropping it cold with two minutes to go. It was at times it felt like both teams were doing what they could to lose the game. But the top and bottom of it is Hull FC won the two from two. And I think most black and whites fans, dare I say, wouldn't have predicted that, wouldn't have been as hopeful or as expectant as that at the start of the season. No, definitely not. It probably would have taken one out of the two. You know, you look ahead at the next. Uh, two games as well, Catalans away and uh, Salford at home. Again, a lot of fans would have said, win the two home games, go to like 4 50%, we'll take that. Because again, it's what Hull FC do in the second half of the season. We've been at, you know, Hull FC have been here so many times before we started the season well, you know, both for the British Juniors 2021, 2022. They were fourth at the end of May and then collapsed. So, yeah, it's very much what they're doing the summer months. But yeah, I think most all fans would have taken. Two out of two, of course they will. It's 100%. Why wouldn't you? And they've shown glimpses. 
who were good with the ball against Castleford. Much better re resilient wise against Leeds, but there's still a lot to tighten up. I think Hulessi's scramble in defence was excellent, but as an assertive unit, you know, getting those first contacts right to ensure that Leeds didn't make the breaks in the first place. It's obviously a lot to tighten up there with, you know, with patterns, with, you know, with obviously, you know, with actual first contacts and things like that. So, yeah, there's a long, long way to go. There really is. And I know I sound like a broken record repeating myself at the minute, but you, you, you can't you can't get overly optimistic in round two. There's a, Anything can happen. It's, you know, it's, this season's literally in its infancy. It's got a long, long, long way to go. But, yeah, you've got to be happy with what you've seen from all because they're showing traits that they didn't show at the back end of last season when obviously the wheels came off and that's the resilience in them, the fight in them, the togetherness in them, the spirit and the finding ways to win games with rugby league. Obviously, the Blue Castle for the way. They then conceded two tries against Leeds. They lose him with, what, six minutes to go. They get the ball back and they find a way to get over with obviously Brad Dwyer passing to Scott Taylor. So, the, it, so far, it's so good, but they know there's a lot of improvement in them. They're far from where they want to be. There's still perceptions that they've got to change, and it won't happen until we until we get further on in the year. They can't do anything about it now. They've got to start well and, and carry on. But the writing on the wall will be what they do in the second half of the year. Joe, honest opinion on FC so far, because you have seen both of their games. Yeah, yeah, I have. I went to the Castleford game with Dan in round one and then watched it on the box on Friday night. There's so many similarities from Tony Smith's side. He took over at FC, then he did for Rovers at the back end of 19, but going into 2020, like Dan alluded to then, I'm, I'm impressed with some individuals. I think Brad Fash is a superb player, you know, played against him as an amp um, in the academy, and now to see him go on to these things that he's doing for Hull, it's no surprise. He's a gritty forward and every team needs him. Um, I'm liking Jake Clifford. Um, I'm still I, I'm not not sure is a bit of an overstatement on Tex Hoy, but I think his time will come. But I'm liking what Clifford's bringing to Hull at the moment. If they can sort the defence out, then yeah, they're going to be a decent team. I do think that a bit like Rovers did in the first 20 minutes at Salford, they got rolled a little bit easily. And don't get me wrong, no disrespect to Leeds, and I know we'll be speaking about them more with you, Matt, because you'll cover them more than me and Dan, but they look like a team who's, you know, who are desperate, desperate for some, just a boost, really. They look very poor, don't they? So I think they're going to come up against better teams, of course, but Tony knows what he's doing. He's been around the block more times than most, and he'll be happy, and I think... He's been chanting a lot to Dan, especially about defence, like he did at Rovers a few years back. And if he can get that sorted, then you never know where they can go. But I think at the moment, that's the biggest thing for Hull FC is just consistency in the middle of defence. And I'm a little bit wary of um, Darnell McIntosh sometimes gets caught out a little bit too easily on the wing. But yeah, from both sides of Hull, I think they'll be happy with the two um, with the four points, two from two. But there's both a lot of improvement to come from both sides. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. I just... With FC, I think what I've quite liked, there's, there was a lot on the spine, wasn't there, in that Jake Connor's gone, where are the points coming from? But I think even though it's early doors, I think you can see a few positive signs. So Clifford, it looks like a really intelligent player, um, makes the right decisions, his, his vision is good. You complement that with Hoy, who's got the speed, and and has that about him that look no team likes defending against raw pace, and he definitely does bring that. Maybe doesn't have some of the other qualities that Clifford does, but I think once you throw Jake Truman into the mix, I think that's been lost a little bit. You know, there's no Truman at the minute who 
he's a big player, a very good player. And he spoke in the off-season about he wants to have more of a running game. He wants to be that player. You can see how that fits in alongside Clifford. And I just think in terms of, you mentioned it, Dan, early rounds, can't read a great deal into too much. You can't get overly optimistic. You can't get overly pessimistic at this stage. But there are enough signs to suggest that scoring won't be a problem. Um, granted, I, I must say, some of the defending in the opening two rounds has left a, a fair bit to be desired. It has to be said. Yeah, but it's early days again, isn't it? You know, teams are still figuring out their patterns, you know, their combinations, those relationships, especially with new players coming into new clubs. So these things take time, don't they? I think you can say that across the board. You know, Salford will be saying the same thing. St. Helens would, well, maybe not so much St. Helens, but Wigan, you know, Huddersfield especially, you know, teams like that, you know, teams that are recruited heavily. It's going to take a little bit of time for everything to click. And it's the same at Hull FC, but yeah, the span is obviously the big talking point because it's 100% different to what it is last year with Texoy, Jake Truman, Jake Clifford and Brad Dwyer. So it's a completely new one, six, seven and nine combination. That that takes time in itself. We're still to see one part of that in Jake Truman. But yeah, so far so good. You can definitely say that there's some promise there. Clifford looks like an outstanding player. It's no surprise, you know, he's, he's played 60-odd games in the NRL for two different clubs. He's learned his craft under people like Jonathan Thurston. So it's, it's no surprise. It's... You know, I think Hull knew what they were getting with Clifford. That's why they worked so hard to get him. Same with Tex Hoy. You know, he obviously he's a little bit raw. He's a little bit more inexperienced, but carries the ball a lot. I think he's Hull's top carrier in the two games so far. So, you know, he gets his mitts on the ball. He's a threat. He's got pace. You know, he knows how to beat his opposition, but he can pass too. So there's some really exciting things there. And obviously the coach by Tony Smith, who loves to play that brand of rugby. So that, that bodes well as well. It's just... It's defensively, you know, if you ask any anyone associated with Hull SC, the number one improvement for 2023 it would have been defence. Defence is all about hearts, about efforts, about desire. Hull have got those three things right now. There's a complete buy-in with the squad. It's genuine. It's there to see. You go watch them at training. You see them. You see the players interact with each other. It's, there's no doubt in my mind that, that it's all there. It's now just literally being patient and, and letting those combinations unfold and and relationships develop, and if we'll get that, and they can maintain it through a year, then there will be a threat. But that's the thing; no one's, no one's saying they're going to be this and that. You know, everyone knows what Hull FC are. They're potentially a good side who can get in that top six. The rest of it is is up to them. But you know, it's baby steps for now. It's it's getting that effort week in week out, and making sure that they improve week in week out. And they, you know, they get all those traits, and they'll see where it takes them. And that's the exciting thing about Hull FC right now: the fact that. Nobody is making those outlandish statements, and it's literally just, you know, take it week by week. Yes, it is very cliche, but who knows? It might be the right way to go about it. And you know, when we come back to them after ten or twelve rounds, following the top six, then we know it's worked, don't we? Yeah. As for Leeds, I mean, let's be honest they they should have won the game, shouldn't they? They had enough chances, guilt edge chances that they didn't take. To win that game, you know, Cameron Smith throws it behind two men. Blake Austin doesn't catch the ball. And then A. McDonald um, tries to throw a pass when he should just set. They get in front. McDonald with six minutes left tries to throw an offload to no one. FC go and score from it. Um, they, they should have won the game. I, I don't think that's an unfair comment, Dan, really. No, they had the chances to win. You know, 99 times out of 100, you get a two-on-one with a long-distance break. You expect to polish that and get your support player under the stick. So, yeah, they'll be absolutely kicking themselves that they didn't win that game. But there'll, there'll be situations where it happens later in the season, and they will. You know, again, it's race round two. 
it's nothing. Look, look at Leeds last season. <laughs> Everyone was talking in April about Leeds being in a relegation battle, and then they went they went on that incredible run under Rowan Smith and made Old Trafford. So there's a lot there really is, mate. There is a, such a long, long way to go in this competition so far. And Leeds will get better. We all know that. The only thing I will say about Leeds, though, they've got to find that balance in their attack between all off the cuff rugby and obviously with and some shape and structure. For me, they didn't have any of the latter on Friday night. It was all it was all just eyes up rugby, and, and that's great, don't get me wrong, but you've got to have some shape as well, and Leeds have definitely got to find that balance. I think they will get better. They've got too many good players on that side not to get better. You know, so many dangerous players, fast players, you know, good, you know, good 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 signings, you know, good established players. So there's no reason to suggest that they won't be up there just because they've lost two games to me. But they know they need to get better. But every team will be saying that. Yeah. They were just rudderless, I thought, in the first half. Um in attack, that is. You know, they they had they had that one set that I thought epitomised it where they they were on FC's goal line. And they just they just did five power plays, <laughs> threw nothing at them. Then the set was over, and that was it. Like, what what a waste of a chance that is. Um, I think there's a bit of, I, a buzzword of Rowan Smith's uh, connected connection. I you know whatever you want to use. I don't think they are quite that at the minute. Not in they certainly weren't in good ball um, or in or in red zones. I should probably say. Um, I didn't think they tapped well near the line, and I thought on their own goal line. They're not quite there yet. That was proved against Warrington. I thought they were a little bit better against FC, but still not quite there, Joe. You look at some of the tries they conceded. Uh, you know, the, the Cameron Smith, when, when Scott Smith was winners, uh, it's just a one-on-one miss. Um, you know, it's a spin out of the tackle. Ash Hanley just hesitates a little bit for the opening try. Um, I just think, just don't think they're quite where they need to be yet. And and, and every, no club is, but I think they're a little bit behind some of the others from what we've seen. Yeah, they are. it looks like they're a team feeling sorry for themselves, doesn't it? And they're waiting for something to happen instead of making something happen. I thought fair play to Blake Austin. I know it's different watching on the telly from you lads there, but what I noticed was even when Hull were pumping leads down the middle, he never stopped trying it, you know, albeit... It didn't really pay off for him, but I thought his halfback Aidan Caesar didn't give anything and he hasn't really offered much probably throughout his Leeds career. I've seen a lot of Leeds fans comment on, on his performances after that loss and I just think he needs to get in the game. We saw him at Rovers, didn't we, Matt, in that pre-season friendly and again, albeit in a friendly, but there was nothing there. Then it, it kind of, if Cameron Smith is the first receiver constantly, what I'm noticing, and he's just passing it, you know, there anywhere and everywhere. And they kind of try and create something out of nothing. There's no structure. There's no communication. And I just think it's one-up rugby. And then we hope for the best. And we hope for maybe like a Blake Austin breaking down the line or Ash Handley doing Daniel McIntosh down the wing and creating an overlap. I don't think they've got that creativity at the moment to open teams up. And of course, it's not going to get any easier for them on Friday night against St. Helens. And although Ron Smith talks about, yeah, it's connecting and we're not there yet, he's going to have to soon because again, them lower end playoff teams, they're going to be, you know, six, eight points in front of them. And it can, that's a hard mountain to climb, especially the way Leeds are playing. And, I do worry for him at the moment. I don't think... I think Lasoni's got to kind of give a bit more. I think he made 60 metres, but only... He needs to get carried, fit, Joe. He's not he fit. Needs, he's, he's not, is he? He's not, he, you know, being honest. He reminds me of Albert Vette when he first came over to Rovers in glimpses. Um, he's OK, but again, blowing after five minutes and you're on a lot of money. You've come over from the NRL. You're only young. You know, you're not in your 30s. I think, how old's Lasoni, Matt? Is he 25? Uh, he's not... 
he's not in his thirties. No, he's uh, mid to he's mid to maybe late twenties either way, isn't he? But still, for a bloke who's played for Gold Coast and played in the NRL, you, sometimes you see it and they come over here and they think it is a bit of a jolly. And I hope that's not the case because Leeds fans deserve better. But at the moment, he needs to get fitter because he's he's offering absolutely nothing. You compare him to maybe what a Paul Vaughan's doing at the moment for Warrington again. I know it's only early stages, but that's what a prop forward needs to look like. Yeah, uh, speaking of teams that need to be better, Wakefield Trinity, 60 nil. Hey, look, they're playing Wigan, and, and we all know how good Wigan can be. Uh, Hull FC were on the receiving end of that last year. Many teams have, many teams will be in the future, but a lot of people are saying that Wakefield are going to struggle. I think most think they will finish bottom of Super League. Not really convinced anyone that it's going to be otherwise so far after losing to a, an understrength Catalans team at home and then getting pumped by Wigan. It, it we've seen Wakefield do this before, and, and then suddenly out of nowhere they come up with two or three wins. But the the signs aren't great for them at the minute. No, no, they're really not. I think. What they've always had, though, they've always had maybe Terry Arona coming back from injury or David Fafita or Tom Johnson or Bachelor. They're all gone now. They haven't got that Jacob Miller in the halves. You know, Lino seems to be struggling on his own. He's trying his best, but it's the defence. I mean, I watched the highlights. I want at the DW, of course, but we're going to regret sad and they're going to come into their home. And yes, there was hurting after Rovers beat them. So it was always going to be tough. And let's be honest, Wakey, we're never going to beat Wigan. I am in round two, but it's the manner of that defeat. And I think it was 34 nil at half time. And there's been a lot of negative stories, aren't there, this week about Wakefield and their fans are, you know, really frustrated what's going on on and off the field. And it, They've got to do. They've got to prove something soon because again, I know Lee. They're still zero from two, but they're proving that they can go toe to toe. Another narrow defeat in the south of France. They, of course, come to Rovers on Friday. Another close game, maybe, but. At the minute, I just can't see what Wakefield are offering to this Super League. And I don't want to sound negative because I like my old-fashioned clubs and I've grown up going to Wakefield. But you just look at what, you know, the situation we're in now with how the sport needs to develop. And I'm, I'm sure we'll speak about the field and pitch issues soon, Matt. But the, it's not the positive start Wakefield wanted. There was always going to be up against it, but I don't think they knew it was going to be as tough as this even after two rounds. Yeah, the, the fear for me was always not so much who they'd recruited, but who they'd lost. You know, they, they lost some very good players. And while I thought they, they have, I still do think they have recruited some good players. I'm just not quite sure that they, they're they off the same level or there's a the number of them that they need to to do what they need to do and that stay up. Um, the pitch, you know, as of recording, the game with Huddersfield is in doubt um, due to safety concerns around the pitch. We've all seen Steve McNamara's comments about how, some of his players are on antibiotics. I think seven after you know picking up infections from from the pitch. Um, but Dan, Dan, just on the on the what they bring to Super League, that is ultimately a conversation we have to start talking about now with gradings and that. Now, in defence of Wakefield, they have got round to redeveloping the, the stadium, um, but you do you do look at it and go. In, in a grading system, uh, and we might as well start in these conversations because we're going to be having these conversations come next week when the gradings criteria are sort of outlined. You do you do wonder where they fit into Super League at the minute. You do, yeah. Is that partially down to the fact that there's a lot of 
a lot of good clubs with a lot of good things going for them as well. Obviously, you've got to give weight for a lot of credit that they are finally developing Bellevue. Obviously, the new main stand have done some improvements to the North Stand Terrace as well. So, it's long overdue, though. I remember 10, 10 years ago, we were talking about these plans as we're cast Tigers and nothing's obviously happened on that front. But, yeah, it, it's tough at the minute, isn't it? Because they are obviously everyone's tip. Well, I think everyone barring me to finish bottom this year. So, they're up against it. They've lost a lot of players. Obviously, they've given a, a gig to Mark Applegarth. Obviously, he's an unknown quantity outside of Wakefield. And obviously, he's challenged to turn the fortunes around and... They're sort of like on the cusp of relegation every year, finishing bottom and, and finding some ways to stay up. And I can see why people say the luck will eventually run out, but it's it's a tough ask, isn't it? It's a really tough ask, especially with the grading. You, they're not a club that spends a lot of money and they're quite proud of that, the fact that they don't spend as much as others. But again, that limits your quality, doesn't it, when you, you're fighting to sort of stay up and... It's a tough one. This ground will help. It will really help because it'll boost, obviously, the attendance numbers. That's a thing with Wakefield. I remember in the early 2010s, they were knocking on seven, 8,000 average, and now they're back down to four and five, and they have been for a few years. So, obviously, having those boosted numbers when the stand is completed will help massively. It brings in new uh, revenue, both new commercial opportunities with that stand as well, and it, it will help them massively. I don't think you can play down that, but the reality is they're not a Wigan. They're not a St. Helens, they're not a Warrington, they're not a Huddersfield, they're not a Hull SC, a Hull KR, the Catalan Dragons. And then you look at some of the clubs in the Championship as well with good infrastructure and obviously highly ambitious. So, yeah, it's a nervy time, but I'm sure, you know, they'll be sat, some of them will be listening to this and laughing, saying we'll be fine, we'll come through, we'll show our strength and we'll prove you all wrong. And that's what they've done so many times before. And I still think it's what they'll do again. Just on a, attendances, um, They've been really good so far across the game. It's it's been fantastic to see. To be honest, you look at Leeds got what was it sixteen one ice of the season so far. They played a CFC got fifteen three the week before. I think practically practically every club has posted really strong crowds by their own standards. Huddersfield seven thousand seven hundred. I think Salford got five thousand five hundred, and it, it's actually drip fed down into the Championship, barring a few like. Mark Campbell's been quite vocal about his distaste at Featherstone's attendance this week, but it was still 2,000 and something. But it's, it's good for the game, isn't it, to see see this at the minute. It's these healthy numbers, and they are healthy numbers. that They're ultimately bringing money into clubs at the time when they need them, and clearly don't know what they've, they are changing, barring some obvious aesthetics, like pre-match bands at some games and that. But whatever they're doing clearly is working. Yeah, absolutely. It is. It's great to see. It's the best sport in the world and obviously more people watching it, the better it's what we all want. And it looks good as well when you're watching on TV and you see a packed out Weldon Road at Castleford against St. Ellen's on Sunday. That was great. The atmosphere at Headingley on Friday night was outstanding. You know, it, it was definitely at times the South Stand made a racket. It's good to see. You know, things like that are great for the game and let's hope it continues. And this is the thing, isn't it? Every club is trying to put themselves in the shop window at the minute and show IMG what they're all about. So, and attendances are a bit are a big thing about, you know, big thing there, especially your quality of your ground as well and, you know, what you can present, you know, to broadcasters and obviously commercially as well, but also just to the average fan who's, you know, paying on the day or whatever. So, yeah, it's good to see. I hope it continues. I mean, that Huddersfield crowd in particular is very good because they get mocked a lot and Ken Davey puts a lot of money into that club. So, Nice to see him get rewarded. I know there was a big following from Warrington as well, but it, it, they are really good numbers, and that's just thought that continues. You know, especially again, you, you can't emphasize the fact that we're in a cost of living crisis at the minute, and people are 
you know, finding it tough to make ends meet. And so the fact that they're, you know, willing to part with the money and go watch rugby league, I think it says a lot about rugby league as a sport as well, but also how much fans value their club and how passionate they are about them, you know, those clubs as well. So, yeah, that's what that continues throughout the year because the sport deserves it, it really does. Speaking of Huddersfield, didn't get the win, though, because Warrington, the resurgence continues under Daryl Powell. Um, I've got to admit, I expected them to beat Huddersfield, not because I necessarily think they're a better team. I just thought having an extra game, you know, a, a competitive game under the belts would have just battled battle hardened them a little bit more than Huddersfield would be. They got off to a good start. Huddersfield seemed to work their way back into it a little bit at the end. So kind of went how I predicted. But nevertheless, Joe, they, they've beat Leeds. They've beat Huddersfield. The two from two. We, we spoke at the start about how Daryl Powell not only needs wins, but he needs good performance as well. If his job was under threat, it, it's probably not quite as uh, at risk now after what they've what they've mustered up in the first couple of weeks. Yeah, I, I don't, I, yeah, I probably agree with you. I think Huddersfield's pre-season was a bit disruptive as well, wasn't it? I think the Bradford friendly got cancelled. I only think they played Dewsbury, didn't they, with a full-strength side and no disrespect to Dewsbury, they're in League One for a reason, so there was no match for the Giants on that day. But Warrington have, yeah, they've impressed me again. It's early, in it? So you don't want to get carried away and say it's going to be their year like the old cliches. I know Paul Rowley did in his press conference ahead of their game with um, Warrington on Thursday night, but I'm liking what I see. I think George Williams is coming back out of his shell and he can kind of, he's close to recapturing the form that got him a gig in the NRL when he left Wigan. And I'm liking some of the signings. Of course, they've still got Josh Maguire to come back. I think he's got four games and it's still to save. So he's still a chunk away from returning to action. But yeah, it is. I think Powell needed a statement early doors and he's doing that. Only time will tell, and Warrington are very much like a lot of clubs. The proof will be in the pudding, and they ultimately want to be lifting a challenge cup, a league leader shield, all that grand final at Old Trafford at the end of the year. But they needed a positive two games, didn't they? And they've certainly got that. And honestly, the way things going, I think they'll make it three and all on Thursday night, and then you kind of you get a bit more leniency, don't you? When you've proved that these signings are astute ones, and now it's time and you know to build this team throughout the season. And I think especially when Maguire comes back, I know they've lost Matty Nicholson, but they haven't got many injuries at the moment. I think Big Gil Dudson's still got to come back, and so that's two absolute monsters in the middle of the park that Warrington are still without. So they'll only get better. So will a lot of teams, but I've certainly been impressed with them. Um, and I think I'm liking Ratchford better in the centre than he was at fullback as well. I think Matt Dufty's a signing that kind of goes under the radar because he joined at the back end of last year. But in the long run, I think he's definitely the fullback that they needed. Ratchford was great in his heyday, but he is coming to the back end of his career now. But he still offers a lot in the outside backs. But for me, yeah, I'm really impressed with Dufty at the moment. And I think he'll only get better with time in Super League. As for Huddersfield, Dan, they've no reason to worry, have they? It's, it's one loss against an informed team. Um Still got Jake Connor to come back. There's, I haven't. There's no from my end anyway. I'm not thinking or questioning my decision to tip them so high. I still think they'll be right up there. Yeah, of course they will. Yeah, got some very very good players, very creative players in key positions, and and yeah, they'll win. They'll win a lot of games this year, just as they did last year. They'll they'll grind teams out. They'll find ways to win. They'll be resolute. They'll be together. They'll be. You know, a very hard team to break down, as as was proven throughout last season. So, yeah, they won't be worrying after one game. It's absolutely ridiculous to say they'll be worrying after one game, especially against, like you say, a side against Warrington, who had the wind in the sail after what they did, you know, in round one. 
They were coming there with a bit of momentum. Huddersfield frustratingly had to, you know, wait and watch all that, didn't they? Because St. Helens obviously in Australia with a World Cup challenge. So they'll find the feet, they'll get better. They've got Jake Connor somehow to fit into that team. It'd be interesting to see what Ian Watson does when that happens. But yeah, they'll be fine. I don't think there'll be any doubts, you know, within that club just because they lost the opening game that they won't be right up there this year. On to uh, another unbeaten team, which is Catalan. Uh, they've gone two from two, admittedly played two teams that many predict will be somewhere near the bottom in Wakefield and Lee, but so far so good, especially given they've got some pretty key players out. Takiyar's not played, um, Mitchell Pierce hasn't played, Tompkins has only played one. Um, Joey, I think everyone, if there was a club, a team that they were uncertain on, this season, many thought it was Catalan in terms of how good or how not so good they might be. But all being said, two from two, it's kind of similar to what we said about FC and KR. They can't do much better than that, can they? No, they can't. And I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna stick to my guns. And I do think they'll probably still struggle when it comes to push and shove in the back end of the year. I don't think they'll make a playoff spot. But yeah, they're they're, they're like many teams out there. They need a fast start, and they've probably grounded out results. The Wakefield game was a bit to and fro. They managed to I think win by two scores in the end, didn't they? Um, Lee at home. They've Lee have got the adrenaline, aren't they? At the minute of playing in the Super League, like they have done for the past few years, and that'll eventually wear off when injuries start to come and all things like that. But there was always going to be a tough ask and they managed to get the result done. Obviously, they're playing Dan's team, Hull FC, on Friday night. I think that could be the game that come unstuck. I am tipping FC. Um, and But again, if they can bring Takiyaho back, if Pierce can be fit, um, I think Adam Kerry in as well, isn't it? The kid from Sydney, I don't think he played against Lee. So they are missing the key players and Tompkins is still shaking off that surgery. No Mike McMeekin. So they're missing a big, big, cohort of their key regular starters aren't they so it'll be hard to judge them yet and write them off as such but even at full strength I don't think they're one of the top six in the comp but fair play to them they've had a bit of a rubbish off season aren't they with all the stuff going over in France and um, a few injuries and a bit of a revamp from Steve McNamara but they needed what they needed to do and they've come away with two and own they're in the same boat as Warrington, Hull and Rovers so can't really complain at the moment As for Lee Dan because I know that you're their biggest fans um it's still just a point scoring thing that concerns me. They, they've, they've reminded me, dare I say it, of the Adrian Lamb team under Wigan that finished bottom point scorers in the league. Um, I think they're a good team. I think they're competitive. You know, they've they've not been out muscled, outplayed, particularly in either of the games they've lost, and they've both been narrow defeats, but. It's hard not just to look at the number of points they've scored. They scored three tries in two games. One of them were a penalty try. I did that by the by. But they're just, it's just that point scoring that worries me for them. Yeah, the, 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 they are the newly promoted team. And I know Hulk brought the mould when they came back up in 2017 and stayed up. But historically in the Super League era, it's been very hard to come up to this competition from the Championship and stay up. And that's why I tip them to go down. It's, there's no vendetta. It's not because I hate Lee or anything like that. It's because history says that the promoted team struggles when they come up. And it was always going to be the same for Lee, regardless of the fact that the signed Zach Ardaker, regardless of the fact that the signed Ricky Latelli, amongst others. It's always, It was always going to be tough for them. They've got to come to Super League and prove a point that they deserve to be here, that they deserve to stay up. And until they start winning games, 
that's the perception that they've got to, you know, got to change. To only score three tries in what sixteen points, whatever it is, in in two games, yeah, is a concern. And obviously, the their challenge to get you know to improve on that as the year goes on. But again, you go back to that combination thing that we've mentioned with a few clubs right now. They've signed a lot of players. It takes time to gel. It takes time to come together. Realistically, they're probably only need to win about five or six games. I don't think it's going to be like a twenty nineteen where you've got London going down having won a third of the games. I think it was ten to one. It's not going to be like that. They know that they need to target what five or six wins, and they'll probably stay in Super League. So they've got plenty of time to do that. You know, the, the tracks the tracks will get drier. You know, the pitches will get firmer. And it obviously, allows for attacking rugby league. Those combinations will gel. You never know. There's some signs there. They're not getting well, you know, they will compete even both games. They've only just got beat by a couple of scores. So it's not like they're getting blown away or anything daft like that. And they will get better. They'll get more competitive. They'll they'll get an understanding of Super League the more they play in the competition. So there won't be any alarm bells or anything like that ringing. Obviously, they've got a tough round three game coming this week as well. So, but it's a long season, isn't it? <laughs> I keep saying it, but, and it is very cliche, but it is. They've got plenty of time to find their feet and they, they may well do that as the months endure and they'll pick up some wins and especially at home you know one thing you can say about Lee they, they made it a, a party last week didn't they they made it hostile they made it intimidating and and those Lathers they really got behind the side didn't they so if they can keep that up they can pack that end out you know fill those sides and, and really get behind them teams behind the side sorry they, they, they're going to make it a really difficult difficult place for opposition sides to come and get two points so yeah so there's a long way to go they won't be worrying about anything yet and I'm sure that they'll be confident in their camp that they can pick up some wins pretty soon. And just finally, Castleford v St Helens. I I don't know what we can say about St Helens. It's not already been said in the last couple of weeks. Um, by no means their best performance never was going to be. Still managed to get the win. Uh, they they move on to Leeds this week. As for Castleford, I mean, <laughs> it was just an example of. How to make sure you don't win a game, wasn't it? Hey, how we talk about Leeds missing chances. How many did Castleford waste? Jake Mamo, I think I, I tweeted this. It never seen a player play so well yet, so poorly at the same time. I all those breaks and then not not executing the pass or wrong decision. But the and then the Ferrari, oh, the Ferrari one. What what can you say about that? Um, but yeah, they they've, they've kind of. Just first week was defence against Hull. Last week was attack. Not really giving themselves a chance to win games, have they, Joe? No, they aren't. And do you know what I feel? I feel like, again, I did it for Wakefield. I'm going to do it for Cass now. So I feel like I'm digging in on them West Yorkshire sides. But I just don't see what the Cass are going to produce this year. I think they're really going to struggle. I don't know. The balance don't look right to me. And again, they're, they're, un, they're under the cosh, aren't they? They needed a point to prove. They've had a hell start to Super League with off-field incidents and losing against Hull FC. But again, in that first half, you're not going to have a better chance to not beat St Helens as such because you never know what was going to happen in the second half. But if Cass had took their three or four tries, it could have been a different ball game. And then you were talking a totally different narrative. But again, I think a few forwards need to pull the finger out a little bit more. I think they're getting rolled too easily. Again, against the best team in the division, and they'll roll probably every team down the park. But from Cass, I don't know. I just think 
something's got to click soon otherwise i don't think they're going to be in any danger to get relegated maybe you never know they might get into a battle with wakey and lee i know cast fans won't want me to say that but it is a you know at the minute you're looking and thinking are they as good as a hull or a rovers at the minute at the minute you're probably going to say no but you will again we'll wait to see what happens in the future but i like cast as a team i always have done but i just think for this year i don't think the halfbacks maybe suit each other at the moment i think they're both very they're a bit more conservative as we've seen them as before especially miller it looks like he's going to a shell at wakefield they had that free roam and at cassie's kind of just playing it on and not getting involved a bit like what caesar's doing at the minute at leeds but they'll need to bounce back soon and i know they'll be bringing a few players back but again it, it just proves radas isn't taking no rubbish as he sends mahe Fanoa and suasa matagi to alex alifax who played on monday night for no, we didn't well, even get a game in the championship. Well, Matangi didn't do much good, did he? Halifax well, he knocked, he knocked the ball on, didn't he? And then that was about it. And for no, we didn't get in the team. So it kind of proves that even their quarter players were getting sent out on loan to a championship team. Can't to be, to be fair, Fanua was recalled because Mamo got that injury in the game. Um, right. But yeah, Matangi was. It's, it's hard to be too critical because let's be frank, me and you were watching it um, from separate separate locations on Monday night, Halifax were atrocious. Yes, there was. <laughs> Witness were very good, though, by the way. Take nothing away from Witness, but Halifax were abysmal. Yeah, yeah, there was. I like Danny Craven and Jack Owens, but yeah, um, only time will tell with Casswater. Um, but I think the fans, they're a very passionate bunch, aren't they? And the kind of change each week if they love Radford or they hate Radford. And at the minute, it's definitely the latter. And he needs a big win over the next few weeks, definitely, because I know the pressure will start to pile on um, on Radders over in West Yorkshire. But they've got enough. Can they click? They've got to do it soon because, again, they'll be fighting a losing battle if they start, if they go 0 and 4 or 0 and 5. Yeah, don't think we'll see Joe Westerman for a while either. From what I can gather, I think he's, uh, no. I think he'll be off the field for at least another week, if not more. But that's a conversation for another day. That's where we'll wrap up House of the League for this week. Big thank you to everyone who's listened. A big thanks to everyone who has joined the show too: Dave Craven, Simon Johnson, Dan, and Joe. We'll be back next week for all things rugby league, a bit of focus on gradings at some point because that is going to be released, the criteria anyway, by AMG. All of that to come, as well as another exciting weekend of rugby league. That's where we'll finish. Thank you for listening. Take care, and above everything else, enjoy your rugby league. See you later. 